Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Last Night in Soho from 2021, directed by Edgar Wright, written by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns, starring Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Michael Ajao. And in this film, a young woman who moves to the big city is at first dazzled and later plagued by visions of the 1960s and a woman who once lived in her apartment. If you're new to the show, we're just going to talk about general background info on this movie for the first 15 to 20 minutes, and we'll keep that spoiler-free. But after that, you'll hear our little fake break and musical transition, and that's when you know to duck out if you haven't seen the movie because we're going to spoil everything. And uh, Ashran, before we go any further, it's been a while since we thanked our Patreon supporters. So I want to thank Sam, Margot, Amy, Bjorn, Adam, Blake, Tim, Mike, Coop, Moonmonk, Alex, Jason, Becca, Ben, Don, Kate, Kelly, Andrew, Catherine, Sloan, Jordan, Amy, King, Stephen, Rob, Landon, and Tyler. We appreciate all of you. And I don't know if I should give people this big of a peek behind the curtain, Ashvin, but the show now pays for itself. So that's really nice for us, and we thank you all for that. Yeah, that's so awesome. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Now we got to slowly climb out of that hole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> of all the years we were losing money. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. Um. So, buddy, I think we were both pretty pumped for this movie, right? You know, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I don't remember being too pumped about it. Uh, I, I know it was kind of like on your radar for a long time, and uh, I think we we assumed it was going to be like kind of a big release. But um, I yeah, it, it wasn't like too high on my radar. It was it was on yours? Yeah, I guess I was kind of excited just because of Edgar Wright and how much we both loved Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, yeah, he's he's like one of my favorite directors, but I think it was, it was more the genre. I like seeing the trailers and stuff, knowing it was kind of more psychological horror or something um, that just like didn't sell me on it. But um, did you like not see a trailer before it? Right. Yeah, I didn't watch the spoilers. There are the trailers in keeping with my ultra sensitivity to spoilers and thinking that even the trailer spoils too much these days. Yeah. So I had not seen the trailer. So I was going in blind just knowing it was a movie. Directed by Edgar Wright, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, so I was like, well, that's a win-win. I know. And uh, we'll talk about whether it was or not. But it it had, you know, there was some hype behind it, but it was a bit of an underwhelming performance at the box office. Oh, man, yeah. Um, Um, But, I mean, it's only been out like four or five days now, right? Yeah, it hasn't been out very long, but it was still a pretty poor opening and not, I think, probably less than they were expecting. Yeah, um, right. This was yet another COVID-delayed movie. It was originally set to release in September of 2020, but it released October 29th of 2021, which we're recording this on the 4th, so you're right. It was about a week ago. Yeah, um, sure. It was a $43 million budget and only a $6.5 million box office, and it finished 7th at the U.S. box office on its opening weekend. Yeah, that's rough. I, I think it's up to 7.9, but yeah, still like far from the budget number. So I, do you think this one never is going to break? Uh, the the, the I, don't, I don't think it's ever going to be a profitable film, is it? Not in the box office, no, but I, I think they hope that they'll get some profit on the back end with DVD sales or streaming once this is done with its theatrical run. But Yeah, right, right. 
Yeah, I mean, but but you're totally right. Like the those two names, Edgar Wright, Anya. I mean, such huge, huge names, and especially with all the fame Anya's been getting, I, I, I wonder if maybe they hadn't put the trailer out, if it would have gotten more attention. But um, yeah, what do you think is leading to such slow numbers? I don't know, man. I think maybe the preview, like you said, just it was clear that it was psychological horror from the preview because I did watch it after the fact. Maybe it just didn't draw people in. Edgar Wright may not be a huge name to the average moviegoer, but yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy, she's really increased in popularity, but even then only to a certain crowd probably, right? Like the Queen's Gambit isn't something like Game of Thrones. It's kind of a soft-spoken, relatively quiet... uh, It's I, I don't know. I find it thrilling, but it's very very restrained you know it is but like because of the pandemic like i feel like certain shows came out last year that everyone watched and queen's gambit was uh one of them so i feel like it got a lot more attention uh sorry yeah you're right it did feel like everyone was watching it i don't know i don't know why she didn't have bigger draw on this one yeah yeah you saw it queen's gambit yeah i loved it oh okay okay yeah it it was a good one yeah yeah, I mean, she's been in The Witch. Uh, well, obviously, that was the big the big break. And Split, Glass, Emma, uh, The New Mutants, which also didn't do well at the box office. But yeah, I'm excited to see her in The Northman, Robert Eggers' film set to release in 2020. Me too, me too. Yeah, she's such a great presence. This has been cool to see her kind of come up from The Witch, uh, do these other films. And uh, yeah, she's really come into her own. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. For sure. It's it's cool. She really does have quite a presence, a unique presence on screen. Right, right. I think she's pretty close to replacing uh, the spot I hold for Imogen right now, uh, Imogen Poots. I feel like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Anya's like, uh, she's like, what, like trilingual or something? Oh, is she really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think she was, she might be like, I think she was born in Argentina, I want to say, has like lived in, in Europe, in Miami. She's, like, been all over. She just has, like, the craziest kind of backstory. And then, yeah, just insanely talented. We even get her, like, singing in this movie, and she sounds amazing. Yeah, I was, in a theater, I was wondering if it was really her, and it, it is. She sings a rendition of Downtown uh, that was right. originally performed by, who was that? Patula Clark, or Patula Clark. Right. Um, and it was really good. I know. I know. It was really good. It's pretty haunting. Yeah, she's got two versions of that on the soundtrack, and then also a cover of You're My World by Scylla Black. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, the soundtrack is chock full of 1960s music, but uh, yeah, a couple yeah. of covers by Anya, and yeah, she's a good singer. I didn't know that about her. I know, me neither. I mean, I, I just feel like she's got an and she plays chess really well, I guess, so I mean, she's just full of talents, right? Yeah. Should we um, just dedicate this entire episode to talking about how great Anya Taylor Joy? <laughs> I think so. Come on, have you have you seen? Have you? Uh, she's a fashion icon too. Like, do you see like the way she dresses for uh, events and uh, like what she's been wearing to the galas and things? I I haven't been. You follow her on Instagram, I take it. I do, man. I thought I I, I was I, I thought you're on my feed of uh, people I send her photos to every day, but uh, I'll get you on there. All right, thanks. She's, yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. I'll sub. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, she's top notch. And then, yeah, speaking of the soundtrack, um, Edgar Wright, um, did you see his, it was either his last movie or the one before it, Baby Driver? Did you see that one? I never saw Baby Driver. 
Oh, okay, okay. Uh, also, like, a really great film, but, um, you know, really heavy on the soundtrack. And so it's cool to see him, like, you know, equally in this film, leaning really heavy on, like, a, a vibe and, like, a soundtrack. Like, that, that soundtrack I was listening to today, and it's it's so good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, He's definitely got a really focused vibe with a lot of his movies, and I think yeah. that's one thing he's become a bit known for is his needle drops, as the kids are calling them these days. Like, <laughs> that's what you call it when you, like, uh, what, when you play vinyls or just in general? I think just, like, when, like, the musical cues in a movie, when a song comes in and and which song is chosen for the soundtrack. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I feel like there are a few directors out there who, like, do a really good job, and I'd put Edgar Wright in that category. Yeah, I would, too. Uh, he's an interesting director because he is brought up in a lot of, like, film nerd discussions just because there's a handful of directors that seem to have really specific things like that that become a bit of their trademarks. Mm-hmm. He's got a few of them. I think those musical cues are one. Kind of repetitive, circular dialogue. That was something we talked about in the Shaun of the Dead episode, how he lines kept being repeated in slightly different contexts. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but most prominent to me is like lots of whip pans and yeah. crash zooms, which... Really gave his movies a lot of energy. I've heard it called the kinetic style, which right. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that those really uh, made Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, uh, like those comedies, really sharp and, and work really well. Is that camera work and that editing? So yeah. Definitely a, a signature move. Did you notice those so much in this film? Or do you want to save that for the review? I, yeah, we can talk more about it in re- the review, but there were things I was looking for that I didn't quite find in this film. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Like, I, I don't know if I could tie these ones uh, back, like, not knowing as Edgar Wright to his other work, like, uh, some of those signature camera pieces that I didn't feel like uh, were as evident here. Right. Some of his movies, if I was going in blind, I could have guessed it was Edgar Wright, but not this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is cool, I guess. I mean, he, I think he set out to, like, do something really different here, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe that could be disappointing to some people, but it could be the mark of a maturing director. Not sure. leaning so heavily on, on his trademarks. Right, right. Um, speaking of rising stars and Anya Taylor Joy, Thomas and McKenzie, uh, who's really the main character of this film, is a rising star at 21 years old, and she was recently in Old and Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, she was really good in that. Yeah, who was she in Jojo Rabbit? She was the woman, the girl living in the walls. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Try not to spoil too much of Jojo Rabbit for anyone that hasn't seen it. Yeah, yeah, man, I still haven't seen like the last 15 minutes of it. I, I gotta get, make my way back to that. Oh, man, how do you watch everything for the last 15 minutes? <laughs> I, was, I was on a plane. <laughs> the plane oh, okay, was, that'll do it. was landing, and I was like, ah, oh, man, when am I going to see the last 15 minutes of this? <laughs> Good movie, though. Yeah, it is. Um, um, oh, it, it's uh, it's kind of funny that uh, her name's Thomason, and then uh, that was Anya's name in The Witch, right? That is a little bit odd. Yeah, yeah. I Do you think, like, Thomason, given, like, she's did old, and I think she's doing some kind of slasher in the next year or two, I feel like she's also going the scary movie route a little bit. Maybe, maybe. I feel like it's not... Uh, there was a, a day, a time, and a place where it was kind of looked down upon if you went into the horror movie realm after you were already an established actor. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't think so, so much anymore. Sure. The profile has kind of gone up for this. Yeah. All right. But I'm going to do one more transition using the rising star topic. 
Okay. It's interesting because the plot of this movie is somewhat about our young main character trying to make it in the big city and how that parallels the story of a young woman trying to make her name in the 1960s in the big city. Right. And two of the actresses in this film made their name in the 1960s and both starred in James Bond movies, which is also fun because a Bond movie appears on the marquee in a 1960s scene within this oh. film. Thunder um, something? What's that? Uh, Thunderball? Thunderball, yeah. Thunderball. Yeah, neither of the actresses uh, in question were in that movie, but the actress who plays Ellie's landlord is Diana Rigg. Uh, she played, she was most famous for playing a character named Emma Peel on a popular British TV show called The Avengers about British spies. But she also played James Bond's wife in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And uh, mm-hmm. let's see who else. Oh, she also um, was Olena Tyrell from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where I recognize her from, right? Yeah. And the other actress I'm referring to is Margaret Nolan, who played Ellie's boss at the pub. And she was in Goldfinger. She was the woman painted gold on the cover and in the title sequence. Oh, wow. And, then, and they both unfortunately passed away in 2020. I know, like a month apart from each other. That's, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So this was like the last film for both of them? Correct. This was their, yeah, last film for both of them. Damn. Yeah. Sad, but kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Got a nice, uh, nice uh, last tribute, I guess. Yeah, right, right. But both were, I mean... They were a little young to, to be going already. Yeah, I was wondering uh, if it had anything to do with like the pandemic or COVID or anything, but um, I, I don't know. I, got, I didn't see any details on that, did you? I didn't either, except I did see that I believe it was Diana Rigg who passed away from lung cancer, so oh, okay. possible there were COVID implications there, but I, I didn't see that anywhere. Sure, sure. That's just conjecture. Yep. Uh, This movie is scored by Stephen Price, who's worked with Edgar Wright multiple times before on Scott Pilgrim, The World's End, Baby Driver, and he won an Academy Award for scoring Gravity from 2013. Yeah, nice. The director of photography was Chung Chung Hoon, who also shot Old Boy, Thirst, 2017's It, and Zombieland Double Tap, among many other films. So that's kind of cool. I I need to still see Old Boy. Me too, man. That's like one movie people like put at the top of so many lists. People just that, talk uh, about that movie a lot. I I don't know why I haven't bothered to see it yet. I know, I know. And and there's like an American version, but I don't think it's supposed to be as good, right? Uh, I can't remember if there's an American version or not, but Okay. Yeah, what that's one we I, I don't think it's a horror film, is it? It's more of action probably. I think it's like a dark action movie. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um uh... I got a couple more background items, but they're not super interesting. You got anything you want to drop? Um, I, I think one interesting thing we should mention is the Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, oh, I didn't write that down for some reason. Lay it on me. Yeah, this I, I thought was shocking. So 74% on the critics' reviews, 90% on the uh, user reviews, audience score. Oh, so interesting. High, yeah, I would have thought that would have been switched. I was really surprised to, to see that. Hmm, I could maybe understand it. We'll probably talk more about that in the review. But then I'm surprised it didn't get a better box office if so many of the audience members loved it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess people who wanted to see it, the Edgar Wright friends and the Anya fans made it out there and got what they wanted. Sure, sure. Um, the only other thing I had, not related to the movie though, was uh, in going to see this film, you saw this in a theater, right? 
I did. I went back to the theater for it. I had to. I don't think it was playing anywhere else. Streaming. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Right. Um, I did something I haven't done in like 15, 20 years. Uh-oh. I, I snuck into a film without paying. <laughs> without paying? <laughs> yeah. How did that yeah. come about? Was there just uh, nobody there and you were like, fuck this? Yeah. I, I tried to use this machine and it wasn't working, so I figured I'd talk someone inside. But then I got inside and I just, I didn't see anyone immediately, so I just walked uh, into the theater. Um, and it felt amazing, man. Like, have you have you done that in a while? No, I don't know if I've ever done that, to be honest. I've paid for one movie and gone to see a different one, but... Yeah, I think that's usually how I've done it, too. So this was... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this, this was uh, something new, but now, now I kind of want to try it again. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hodgman's addicted to stealing. <laughs> I know. I felt like a, a new, like, a... Uh, any person life or like, yeah, it kind of, uh, made me feel alive again, man. It was yeah. Good. What a rush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, and I man. also feel like we're, we're getting to goes. that. Yeah. I also feel like we're getting to that age now where we can like feign, uh, confusion, uh, with things. It's, it's so it's, <laughs> it's easier. I, cause I, I just, <laughs> right? You're going to lean into that. <laughs> I think so. What's the point of getting older if you can't lead into that? For sure. All right. All right. Um, okay, man. Anything else? Any other crimes you want to admit to before I hit the Ohio connection? <laughs> I got other ones, but they're more incriminating, so I'll save them for when we're after or after we're recording. Okay. Well, I'm gonna hit the Ohio connection, but actually, before I do, I've got a couple of Halloween kills corrections. Oh, fun! All right. From uh, Big Turkey and Radio Rob on our Discord server. Okay, let's hear it. So we had mentioned Mustafa Akkad as being the producer on Halloween Kills who was the producer on a lot of the Halloween movies, but he and his daughter died in the late 90s during a terrorist attack. And since then, his son, Malik Akkad, has been the producer. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, so pretty sad. But I feel like that was a fact we got wrong enough to uh, to correct in this episode. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Okay. Also, we I feel like we kind of knew this, but we were fumbling around for why... um, Halloween Kills would have been able to stream on Peacock, and we were talking about how Universal and NBC were connected in some way. Well, yes, Universal owns NBC. That's the connection. Ah, Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Okay, now that that's out of the way, our Ohio connection, as always, is done by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in Northeast Ohio, make your way to Jukebox. They've got delicious food, delicious drinks, and a great patio. And Alex says, Last Night in Soho is the highly anticipated psychological horror film from British writer-director Edgar Wright. The film stars Thomas and McKenzie, Matt Smith, and horror movie club fave Anya Taylor-Joy. He <laughs> predicted we would gush about it. Who also starred in The Witch, Split, Thoroughbreds, and Netflix's The Queen's Gambit, to name a few. One of the hottest up-and-coming stars, Anya Taylor-Joy, was named to Time Magazine's 2021 Next List, which highlights emerging leaders from around the world who are shaping the future and defining the next generation of leadership. The list includes artists, activists, phenoms, leaders, and innovators. Among those included on this list is Monica Rodriguez, a Latinx activist focused on justice justice for migrant women, and Monica Rodriguez hails from Fremont, Ohio. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Bravo. Nice connection, Alex. Yeah, great one. Yeah, you'll have to go uh, scan that next list just to grab another picture of Anya for your collection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll add it to the feed. <laughs> okay, man. Well, let's move on. 
if you're new to the show, this is where we're about to spoil some stuff and walk through the plot and review this film. But Ashwin, before we do, you mind if I take a break to go get some coffee? I haven't been sleeping well. I'm pretty wiped out. Oh, sure, man. Okay, I'll be right back. Okay. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, you got that cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I should be good now, man. It's, it's weird. Every night when I fall asleep, I f- it feels like I'm whisked away to another time and place, and I'm witnessing a young musician trying to make it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the year is 1994, and a young Fred Durst is trying to start a band. <laughs> Are you, is someone trying to kill him? Hopefully. I'm trying to change the past, but I just don't know how. Yeah, that's going to be a painful dream, man. <laughs> Watching that story unfold. There's nothing that's... I can do about it. Yeah. Uh. All right, well, uh, in this movie, a young woman named Ellie, who lives with her grandma and has frequent visions of her deceased mother and loves 1960s music, finds out that she was accepted to a fashion school in London. We learn eventually that her mother killed herself after struggling with a move to the big city, so Grandma is nervous about Ellie moving, especially because there are perhaps some psychological issues at play which are hinted at by Ellie's visions of her mother. Ellie gets to school only to find that she has a horrible roommate that parties too much and insults her, so Ellie moves out of the dorm and finds a place to rent from a stern older woman named Miss Collins. However, each night when she sleeps in the room, she has dreams that feel like borderline time travel as she's whisked back to the 1960s, where she witnesses the story of a young woman named Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who is trying to make it big in a London nightclub as a singer, dancer, performer. Uh, There's also this weird duality, Ash, where she kind of is Sandy, right? Like Sandy looks in the mirror and Ellie is in the mirror. Or she's walking across the room, and then we see Ellie's reflection walk across the room as well. Yeah. There's a moment in a dream where Sandy and Jack are necking, and Ellie wakes up with a hickey the next morning. Yeah. What was your interpretation of what was going on here? Because, I I mean, I I thought it was totally, we're seeing Ellie, she's going out at night, and uh, just, like, imagining herself as this person um, that is uh, Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. That's just like her alter ego or something. Um, wh- but yeah, wh- wh- did, did you think that too, or were you pretty clear that this is a whole different time frame than someone else? I was, I had a slightly different perception. I was thinking, okay, she has visions because she sees her mom, so she is really having visions of this woman from the 1960s. But I also thought, okay, they're somehow like psychically connected because... She sees herself as her in the dream, and she wakes up with that hickey, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like she's just there witnessing the dream. It's like she's Sandy. Right, right. Um, exactly. So, yeah, maybe we'll leave that there, but it's an interesting way to look at it considering how the rest of the movie goes. Sure. So maybe we'll put a pin in that. Okay. Um, but anyway, we see Sandy's story unfold throughout the film within Ellie's dreams. It begins as a hopeful story, and Sandy seems to be on the brink of stardom and success at this club until she finds out it's all a bit of a sham, 
and she essentially becomes a prostitute and who she thought was just going to be her manager, who she's kind of in love with, turns out to be a pimp. Uh, Meanwhile, in the real world, Ellie has used Sandy as a muse for her fashion design and is flourishing in class despite being plagued, even during the daytime eventually, by visions of the seedy underbelly of Sandy's 1960s life. Um, And this is interesting, too, because... They, they're still going with that duality a little bit, right? She gets her hair done like Sandy. She starts wearing similar clothes. Right. She gets a job in a bar. I don't know if that really parallels Sandy's job, but yeah, they're still kind of going with that theme. Yeah, like of, of her trying to be this person maybe. Yeah, yeah. And what did you think about the premise and how the movie's going so far? Uh, it, it's interesting. It reminded me a lot of, uh, you ever seen that movie Midnight in Paris, that, that Woody Allen film? No, I've never seen that. Oh, it's kind of like the same thing where like you uh, have like this glamorized vision of like a, a historical time period in this place, and you always want to be in there. So I, I kind of took Sandy's or not Sandy, but um, Ellie's obsession with like the '60s and the music of that era, and just assume like she's imagining herself as this like character who's so different from her, uh, and like kind of like role playing or like seeing herself in in the position of that person. So I don't know. Yeah, it was a little confusing, but I I just thought like this is some kind of like fantasy that she's like living out and trying to be someone who like she wants to be in a time period that she wants to be in. But what was your take on all this? I really liked it. And I liked that concept of the Sandy being the muse and or an alter ego in a way, because Ellie's really a shy, quiet girl. She's overwhelmed by London and by her class and people kind of tease her and make fun of her. And so for her to find power in Sandy as a character and an inspiration in her art and just the way she's carrying herself and living her life was really cool to me. Yeah. Um, but then I also liked the the underside of it, that this was a period that had been glamorized in uh, Ellie's mind. And, you know, we do that a lot as humans and Americans. We glamorize certain decades and don't, for, don't think about all the horrible shit that was happening, too. <laughs> So it was cool that there was this really dark undercurrent to it all, too, of what's really going on with Sandy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, the behind the curtains thing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jacosta, the, the roommate. The, uh, was that her name? I think, yeah, something like that, right? Jacosta, yeah, Jacosta. Yeah. Jacosta, yeah. Uh, I liked her a lot. Did you like her character? (laughs) No, I mean, she was like stereotypical mean girl. It was maybe even a little hammy. Yeah, maybe a little over the top. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, as mean as it gets. But uh, yeah, that was was an extreme character that I got a big kick out of. It was, and there are some things like that in this movie where they're a bit over the top and very tropey and yeah. dip into genre conventions real hard, but mm-hmm. they, they weren't self-aware. Like, Shaun of the Dead did that and really was self-aware of it and used it for humor. Right. I'd right. never seen Hot Fuzz, but I always assumed it did that as well with, like, the buddy cop movie type Oh, tropes. yeah. Yep. Um, so it was weird to see this be a pretty straightforward movie where and this is a theme of 2021 to me where it's like I don't think there was as much self-awareness here yeah as I wanted there to be it was just like kind of hokey stuff yeah not yeah, throughout yeah. the movie I, I'm not saying the whole movie is like that but right. one example is Jocasta I think yeah yeah 
Is yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Jocasta is is kind of like very stereotypical, overdone, like exactly what we'd expect with the, of a mean girl. Uh, pretty pretty extreme. W- would you say the same thing about like um the story about Sandy and like the the guy Jack that she's with and like him turning out to be a pimp? Uh, did that feel like kind of like w- were you shocked when you saw that, or did it feel like well it's nineteen sixties London and every dude in nineteen sixties London is a pimp or something? I don't think I was. Like, oh, brother, everyone saw that coming. But I, I was on board with that part of the story. Yeah, I I was on board with it. But it also felt a little bit predictable. Because, I mean, she meets him in a club. He's like this really uh, suave guy. Uh, he's ordering, like, cool drinks. He's got, like, great dance moves. And he drives a nice car. Uh, and then it turns out he's like a pimp, which, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of felt like a little stereotypical, I guess. Okay. I didn't feel that way, but... Um... Did you call him Swave? Suave. <laughs> Did you say Swave? I thought you said Swave. <laughs> so I was thinking about the soap. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, because that's pronounced Swave. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, well, anyway. So, yeah, this is all going on. Um, Ellie's also met a nice young man at school named John, who is supportive of her even when she's going a little nuts and starting to lose her grip on reality and screams get off of her during a moment of in- intimacy between the two of them and uh, also attempts to stab her roommate Jocasta in the library as she mistakes her for one of the many male suitors of Sandy that become the go-to ghouls of the movie, which has now kind of become, in the second half of the movie, an all-out horror movie. There was a while where I was like, oh, shit, did I choose this movie not realizing it wasn't even a horror movie? Because the first half is, you know, absent, absent of any horror elements. Right. Um, But then it surprisingly falls pretty hard into horror and leans pretty heavily on a lot of the tropes. Yeah. Um, It totally switches gears. Yeah, it really switches gears. What is your take on all of these uh, Johns, I'll call them, that that haunt her, (laughs) Sandy's... Sandy's suitors. Uh, you know, I I mean, one, I was glad that, like, finally some horror element was kicking in. But then uh, I felt like, you know, what's scary about it's like a grayed out dude uh, from, like, the 1960s who's, like, wearing a suit. And, and like, I think there was, like, a lot of CGI going on with uh, their faces and stuff and, like, how they would appear. So it didn't really hit for me. Uh, what, what about you? I thought it was cool at first. I, I was like, oh, this is pretty CGI heavy, but it looks good. It really blended in to the style. It's a very stylized film. So mm-hmm. when they appear adjacent to 1960s flashbacks, it kind of matches. But when they're showing up in say a library in the present time, it starts to become too much. We see too much of them. The CGI starts to become more obvious. They really overuse them. Right. It becomes like a mob of them and yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a little overdone. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, in that scene where Ellie is being intimate with John and starts screaming, get off of her, she has a vision where she witnesses the tragic end of Sandy's story as Sandy is seemingly stabbed to death by her manager slash pimp, Jack. I feel like there's probably a more appropriate term for it than pimp, but I don't know it, so I'll keep going with pimp. <laughs> you don't want to offend pimps. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't using a director. All the pimps are going to be drawn away. I want to keep the pimps as our listeners. Yeah, yeah. We've got a few of those, I think. (laughs) Um, So Ellie 
witnessing this, starts digging around at the police station to find out if a girl named Sandy has ever died in this apartment. Uh, And in fact, she eventually believes a frequent customer of the pub she works at is Jack, is the real world old man version of Jack, um, who she believes killed Sandy. This turns out to be a red herring, and one night as Ellie returns to the apartment to tell Miss Collins that she can't take any more of this and she has to go home because she's being plagued by these visions, it's revealed to the audience that Miss Collins, the landlord, is Sandy. She didn't get stabbed by her manager in Ellie's vision from the past. Uh, Quite the contrary, Sandy had finally had enough and stabbed her manager. She then went on to murder many of her male suitors and hide their bodies in the house, which was hinted at in the library when Ellie was scrolling through news stories from that time. There were a lot of missing persons reports. Right. And there's even a moment where these Johns kind of say help to Ellie, (laughs) which to me is just the oldest ghost trope in the book that I'm kind of frankly quite sick of, um, where something has gone wrong and the ghost pass and the main character has to set it right. It seems so scary, but really they just want help. And it's especially cringeworthy because uh, these ghosts are dudes who were like uh, hiring out like Sandy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they're like sleazy dudes who uh, are like suddenly like trying to who've been like chasing uh, Ellie this whole time, but now they're like asking her to help them. Which, yeah, that's kind of rough. Right, right. But did they deserve to die for their indiscretions? Uh, I, I think Sandy thinks so, right? Yeah, maybe. It's a yeah. it's an interesting question. Right. Um, let's see. So now that Miss Collins slash Sandy has divulged all this information to Ellie, uh, which was a questionable decision by Miss Collins. To divulge she, that? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't seem like she needed to. Yeah, that's true. I know. This girl's like about to leave. Uh, the right. Yeah, she was about to, to go away and it was all going to be done, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so now that she's given her this info, she, of course, has to kill her. She has poisoned her tea. Ellie's boyfriend, John, enters to see what he's wondering what's taking Ellie so long, and he is stabbed by Miss Collins. And in all the confusion, Miss Collins' cigarette starts a fire, and Ellie, who has somehow vomited up the poison, uh, escapes with John to leave Sandy uh, to burn to death in the fire, and Sandy does so willingly. She even tries to slit her own throat. So it's a sudden pivot by Sandy, who now wants Ellie to escape. The reasoning isn't really explained why she goes from wanting to kill Sandy or Ellie and John and then is like, get out of here, save yourselves. Um, yeah. But her appearance reverts back to the Sandy of old. So perhaps that person she once was is emerging to the surface again after all these years in her final moments of life. Hmm, that's deep. Right? Maybe. I don't know. Just yeah. trying to figure that out. And then uh, the final scene of the movie is a fashion show displaying Ellie's work which is, of course, inspired by Sandy in the 1960s, and it's all a smashing success, and her grandma and her boyfriend, John, are happily by her side, and she also sees Sandy, uh, a vision of Sandy in the mirror, who approvingly blows her a kiss. And that Mm. is where the movie ends. (laughs) Um, That was a a good summary. Thanks. (laughs) Tight. I'm noticing, buddy, the past few episodes... Maybe it's happened a few times in the past month or so. We we complain and gripe a decent amount about a movie, but then <laughs> end up giving it a decent rating. Um, yeah. So we've gotten some gripes, and what were some things that you liked about this movie? 
Oh, well, uh, I, I thought the cinematography and the whole, like, play and, like, uh, bringing the whole, like, 60s vibe of London uh, and, like, the set pieces, the costumes, uh, all, obviously the music, like, all of that was, like, so good throughout this. And then a lot of those shots were, like, you're flipping between the character of Sandy or um, Ellie or the, the shots of, uh, where, where, yeah, where you have old Sandy versus uh, young Sandy. Uh, I thought all those scenes were, like, really well done. What, what about you? Same, same. I thought it was a beautiful movie for the first half of the film. I really liked the 1960s scenes. I really liked the concept of her. I don't know. There, There's something relatable. I'm sure we can all kind of relate to somebody who's in a situation they don't want to be in. And their imagination or dreams are their only escape from their reality. So I love this yeah. idea of Ellie kind of being whisked away at night to this glittery and glammy world of the 60s um, and envisioning herself as a more confident woman in Sandy who everything's coming up roses for seemingly for a while. Right. Yeah, I feel like those two characters like married each other so well. Like, yeah, one is very like kind of repressed and, and quiet and shy. The other one's like this really confident person who's like out there trying to like become a star. So it's, it's so cool to see those two characters paired together that way. Yeah, I really like that too. And yeah, there, there were some sequences that were really just beautiful and and filmed really well and kind of uh there were a few shots of just like oh i'd like to know how they did that with um yeah ellie in a mirror doing the same thing that that sandy's doing and stuff like that right um right so i would say the first half of the movie was even enchanting to me it was just like really evocative of a different time and place and uh a really relatable experience to be kind of wishing you were somewhere else or even in a different time sure yep um, and then the and then the second half, the, the second half, <laughs> the second half to me uh, became too stereotypical. It it was like the events that would unfold in uh, any random like Netflix produced supernatural movie that you would click on. Right, it, this turned from a psychological horror into a paint by number supernatural movie, and. It just kind of felt like a waste of Edgar Wright's talent and everyone's talent, frankly, to be engaging in this type of stuff. Um, like, namely, those ghouls, the, the guys uh, just constantly around and jump scares and her, I don't know, them stalking her. It just got really old. Um, and it was just nothing that you hadn't seen like a million times before, it feels like, right? Right, yeah, there wasn't like anything special about that second half. Even like the idea of this being a psychological horror, is it, or is it just like a supernatural thriller for the second half where she's actually being haunted by ghosts? Yeah, I mean, it kind of ends up becoming just a straight up supernatural movie. And that was right. that thing I wanted to put a pin in was there's a clear duality in the beginning between Sandy and Ellie. Ellie even has the marks on her body from the events that occurred to Sandy in the past. Right. That goes nowhere, right? I mean, it just falls apart. <laughs> that just gets dropped, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally dropped. And I, I think yeah. that was a really compelling aspect of the story. Somebody who's really quiet and hesitant um, with a bit of a tragic backstory with her mom passing away, stepping in into confidence through this muse that exists in the past and right. kind of maybe like the dangers that might come with that even mm -hmm. um, and then where it could lead their duality once she finds out who Sandy really is. Like I wouldn't have right. minded to see 
them kind of in cahoots and her, even learn Sandy's secret and right. choose to keep it herself and either avenge Sandy or possibly pursue similarly violent avenues to uh, exactly. achieve her dreams. I think that would have been a much more compelling story. I think so too. And I feel like they hinted at that at parts like, yeah, you're right. The, 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 um, the oh, the hickey on the neck right and yeah. then uh, even like her tone and like her yeah the way she dressed and like her hairstyle like she started to kind of become sandy in like modern life but then yeah that they they dropped that like uh right away and it just be- fell into this like typical stereotypical kind of ghost story then um so yeah what, what was the point of like building up that angle if you're not gonna follow that one through yeah and i mean they they build up they set up, you know, oh, London's a tough town and all that. So I thought it could have been cool to see Ellie get tougher and, like, become, you know, maybe uh, simultaneously strengthened and kind of, like, uh, demoralized a little bit. I'm trying to, what's the yeah. word? Like, you know, go from badass. being her super sweet self to kind of a badass who is willing to do things that are questionably... Right. moral uh to get ahead you know right right uh, that seemed like it would have been more compelling to me because her character arc isn't really i don't know it's not that pronounced to me like mm-hmm. aside from going to the police and researching things at the library she doesn't really take any action that shows she's developing as a character yeah yeah um, right right and actually things kind of go her way too easily like she ends up vomiting up the poison I never saw her gag herself or anything. That just kind of happened. And then things kind of conveniently go her way in the final showdown with Sandy. She's just like, hey, you know what? Get out of here. And (laughs) then we cut to the successful fashion show. So it's never like she really had to step in and make a tough decision or take an action that we didn't expect or that went against the grain of everything she thought she believed in. Yeah. So uh, that's in keeping with a bit of the paint-by-numbers stuff to me, that that all falls under that criticism. That's true. But you also kind of had uh, these elements piling up against her. Like she was obviously like losing her sleep and uh, people were questioning her mental health. And she had that history of family health issues. Um, She's just like had tried to stab one of her classmates. Um, There's like, you know, the police activity around the area, flashing lights going on. So I, I think my biggest concern for her was that she's going to come out of this like, uh, or she's not going to come out of this. Like she's going to end up uh, maybe like following the footsteps of her mother or something. Um, so I, yeah, I, I never felt like she was going to get like killed by someone. More like that that fear that she might like harm herself somehow. Uh, right. did, did you feel that at all? Or become like arrested? Yeah, or taken away or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once it got kind of paint by numbersy, it was. It never really occurred to me that anything could happen other than things going Ellie's way. Oh, okay, okay. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like a beautiful opportunity to tell a really compelling story, and then it just kind of was yeah. bobbled halfway through the script. I know, which which is really unfortunate, because like, uh, it's like when the horror kicks in, like the plot starts to get, yeah, go down the drain. Uh, and yeah, they could have built that up into such a beautiful horror story if, if they kept those parallels going and um, made them like, yeah, kept mirroring each other in, in modern days in the, in, in the 60s. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate they dropped that. Yeah, I mean, normally on an average day, if you ask me like, hey, what would you rather see, psychological horror or supernatural horror? I'd be like... 
you know, I'm not a huge fan of psychological, but this right. movie, psychological was the right choice. Like, right. they set it all up, and that was just the way it should have gone to me. Especially yeah. because the supernatural element wasn't done in any new or unique way. Right, right, exactly. Um, exactly. But, but like you said, oh, one thing we haven't touched on was I thought the acting was great by everybody. Mm-hmm. You um, know, oh, did you feel that way about uh, Thomason as well? I did. I mean, it was a little predictable and maybe flat, but I felt that was right for the character. But what did you think? Was it, was it just me or was she like whispering the entire time? Like how, how did anyone hear her in any of those conversations? Yeah, I mean, she's a... Uh, I th- I don't know if this is even an offensive term, but I feel like the word mousy comes to uh. mind. Like she is really quiet and kind of raspy and just soft-spoken yeah. the whole time. It almost gets a little borderline annoying, but... Yeah, man. I almost feel bad saying that. I, I still feel like maybe it was right for the character. Really? Like like five minutes into this movie, I was like, why is this girl like whispering everything? And then she keeps doing that the whole movie. And yeah, that, that was the hardest part to believe half the time is that you're in, like you're at a bar, you're in a classroom, uh, you're at a party. No one's going to hear you if you're whispering there. It's, it's just... <laughs> it would have been more realistic if everyone in the whole movie was just like, what? Yeah, what, what did you say? What is what this you woman say? saying? <laughs> Enunciate. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. That that was really frustrating. So, I mean, uh, and, and so, so uh, when you, yeah, when you talk about acting, like, are you talking about, like, uh, like you, you thought Anya's acting was amazing? I thought Anya was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I thought, Anya's, yeah. I thought Thomason was good, too. And I thought the guy who played Jack, I don't have his name, was pretty good. And the dude that played uh, John, Michael Ajao, was pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I go back to your comment earlier about uh, maybe some like like the roommate being stereotypical, uh, and I can't help but think like Jack John were also a little bit like stereotypical, like no real like unique quirks to them, uh, which might have, might have made their acting kind of like one tone. Like John's like the nice guy, and he's gonna be with her, like or, or, like support her in every decision she makes, and then Jack is kind of like the dude who you like, but obviously he's got this dark side to him where he's a pimp actually. Um, so I feel like they kind of like fell into their stereotypes in a way. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't hold that against them as actors, but you're right. As far as characters, well-written characters, they are very simple. And John, God love him, but he he stays in there and stays positive through perhaps too much. Like, yeah, if someone's screaming, get off of her, speaking seemingly speaking about themselves in the third person when you're like right. seeming to have a consensual. Uh, I know. Kind of like, endeavor with them. Oh, my God, someone's going to get so mad that I said this type of stuff. But, like, you know, yeah. not to say get out of there, but the approach of blind acceptance, I'm in this no matter what, is a little bit harder to believe between that and her trying to stab someone in the face. Um, there would at least have to be a bit of a, I love this person, but I have to go about things in a certain way or... I have to see about getting them help, but he was just like undividedly <laughs> devoted and like had complete faith in everything that was happening with her, even though she was like yeah. screaming about herself seemingly in the third person and trying to stab people in the face. Like I know, I know. I was you, so scared you for that. Pivot a, a, at least a little bit. You don't have to like be like, okay, forget a relationship with this person, but there are certain yeah. actions that you would take that were not necessarily the things that John did. 
Yeah, yeah, you'd be a little more cautious. I mean, like that that scene where he's in in bed with her and she starts screaming, um, and the landlord you, landlord uh, breaks in. Like you you assume that like she's like someone's gonna think that like uh, this he was this dude to is rape like, her or something. Yeah, yeah, like that could have ended pretty badly for him. Right. Um, but I I don't know if she ever acknowledges that. Or like yeah, if he like even like holds that against her at all, it doesn't seem like it, and he's just like there to support her, even though Everything like uh, was like a yeah. little too easy for every character. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's it, it, it was pretty easy for everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, I, boy, I still feel like I'm falling into that pattern I keep doing where I'm not going to movie, even though uh, I like it. I liked this movie. I I thought the cinematography and production design were spectacular. Uh, yeah, and that first half was just so whimsical mm-hmm. and ethereal to me that it really went a long way for my overall enjoyment of the movie. Sure, and That's I don't great. think that cinematography or production design got bad for the second half, but it just became a little bit more typical. Right, right. Yeah, it kind of like fell to the wayside a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think one other thing that, uh, that that's like really cool about this movie is the theme of like female empowerment and like uh, that that you had a villain here, I guess, who uh, like the main character at the end like kind of understands and like sympathizes for and feels for, and like she has this choice like, do I help these ghosts and all these Johns who have been like murdered, uh, or do I like stand behind uh, this person who came to London and you know was was. Uh, to, um, yeah, treated so poorly. So I, I thought that was kind of a cool angle there. Yeah, yeah, it was. But then it was, it got a little muddled then to me once Sandy like tried to kill Ellie. Yeah. Um, but Ellie still looked at Sandy as kind of her inspiration. And it was like, well, that was a woman who tried to kill you. So yeah, I guess yeah, I still true. get it. And, and the movie kind of goes out of its way to say like Sandy died that night. Like it was two separate people kind of, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, right. the Sandy, the Sandy pre stabbing hen, uh, Jack and, and post stabbing Jack. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I liked the female empowerment element too, but I kind of would have enjoyed more of a ladies being, bad together to make things right in a vigilante justice kind of way. Like, yeah. I would have wanted that old dude to actually have been Jack. Oh, sure. <laughs> and for Elliot to kill him. Like, that was a movie I'd probably rather see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty straightforward. There were so many uh, red herrings in this film. Like, there was that dude, there was the roommate who, like, hands her drinks at night that you're kind of suspicious of the whole time. Oh, right, the whole, right, like, right, mother yeah. and the mental health issues. I just feel like this movie tried to, like, throw you in so many d- different directions. It's almost like a, a murder mystery in a way. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Hmm. Um, and, and then, yeah, and just, like, the lack of, of clarity up front. Uh, hey, one thing I want to ask you why so if sandy wasn't dead why was ellie seeing these like visions like what ghost was like possessing her like what was uh what like yeah what was causing her to see this stuff hmm that's a good question jack jack and the johns the jack the jack house but then if that was true then why does she see sandy again at the end after her fashion show good question man they don't really explain her power if you want to call it that like is, does she see ghosts does she see visions from the past does she see things that have already happened right right Who exactly knows? i mean and then that goes in hand with the question of the duality between them 
clearly yeah. they went out of their way to illustrate that, but there is no reason given for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that link. Yeah. This isn't very explainable. Yeah, I feel like that might have been like a bit of a plot hole there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Well, it feels like it's about time. Um, <laughs> zero to five <laughs> hickeys that go nowhere. What do you give this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I agree with all the po- positive points you mentioned, except for I'm going to push back on the acting thing because I Thomason's uh, whispering the whole time kind of pissed me off. But technically, on paper, this movie was uh, really well done. Uh, so much great work on the soundtrack, the cinematography, the set pieces, costume design. Anya's was amazing. Um, I miss some of those Edgar Wright uh, things that I love about him on his camera work. I, I didn't notice so much of those. So at the end of the day, like the story kind of killed this one for me just because, yeah, the second half, like when the horror hits, it kind of like falls apart. So only two and a half uh, hickeys that don't go anywhere uh, for me. What about you? Okay. I was between a three and a half and a three, but based on the proportion of negative things I have to say about it to the positive, I think I'll just give it... Shit, man. I'm still (laughs) going to give it a three and a half. That was my gut feeling after the theater, and that's what I'm sticking with. Nice, nice. Uh, I think the, the first half of the movie goes a long way, and the only reason I'm so upset about the second half is because there was so much promise in that first half. I... I yeah. thought in the first half of the movie, I was like, I'm going to be rating this at least a four. And then uh, I think I just got pretty bitter towards the second half where I was like, God, <laughs> what's happening here? Um, yeah. So I think if I watched it again, I could sit back and enjoy a little bit more and uh, just take the second half for what it is. So I, I guess I'll stick with a three and a half. Um, yeah. We That's impressive three, though. So I'm all right with that. That, that. That's impressive though. Cause like the, the part you liked was like not a horror movie at all. Right. I almost think this would have been a better movie had it just not been a horror movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, it gives, it almost gives horror movies a bad name, right? If somebody goes to see this and then it slips into the horror, they might just be like, oh my God, this is. Yeah, exactly. It's like all the bad things that supernatural movies are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there it, it definitely is like an audience out there who like would appreciate like seeing old 1960s London, like hearing these, this music, seeing Anya perform. Like uh, that, that stuff is done so well, and it's kind of it's kind of shitty that like yeah, the second half becomes this terrible horror film. Yeah, it really is a disservice to the rest of the movie. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let that first half bring it up, and and I'll stick with that three and a half. All right, hey, uh, character development didn't bother you in terms of like uh, because you had uh, t- um, Ellie and Sandy and like these different timelines. Do you feel like you got enough? I don't feel like I got enough of Anya on this one. Did, did you feel like that? Well, I kind of had a feeling I wasn't going to get enough of Anya. Um, so <laughs> I I was okay it's, with that. I, I think it was necessary for the story. Yeah. Um, of course, I would have liked to see more Anya Taylor-Joy. I always would. But I, I was cool with it for the story reasons. I just wish that Ellie's story would have gone a different direction. Yeah, Elia's the main character that would have been good. But yeah, I, I hear you. Anya, like, uh, I, I think that's a complaint. Uh, you'll never get enough of her, right? Exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. True, true question there. All right. Uh, I cannot wait for The Northman. Maybe we could cover that as like a Patreon episode because that's going to be a not horror movie. But Oh, that's not going to be horror. It's Robert Eggers and uh, Tanya or Anya, and, and it's not uh, horror? From what I understand, all I really know about it is Viking. I think it's like a Viking period piece action type movie or maybe like epic. Okay. Damn. All right. 
There is always talk of them doing a Nosferatu movie together, and I am waiting for that day. But Oh, yeah. That hasn't been confirmed yet? Nothing concrete on it yet. Okay. Okay. Cool. Anything else, buddy? Yeah, that's all I got. All right. That's it, gang. That has been our discussion on last night in Soho. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show. If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links button. There you will find links to our Facebook and Twitter, where we always keep you updated on which movie we'll be covering next week. You'll also find a link to our Discord server, where you can jump on and talk to other horror fans. Buddy, our Discord server, I feel like I said it many episodes back, but we kind of self-deprecatingly named this Horror Movie Club because it's just a two-person club. (laughs) This is a full-blown horror movie club. There are people doing watch parties on the Discord server and stuff. It it makes me happy. Oh, man. That's so cool. As I've said before, listeners, even if you don't like us or you don't like the show, there's a thriving community there on our Discord server. So go to horrormovieclub.com, click social links, click Discord. If you're a big fan of us, there's also a Patreon link on horrormovieclub.com you can sign up for a buck a month and get some bonus content Uh, I've also put a spreadsheet of all of our ratings out there as well as a spreadsheet uh, called the Nerd Noobometer that is supposed to be an objective ranking of where we are on our journey from noob to nerd and uh, we're going to start maybe updating that once Ashwin actually fills it out and figures out what his score is (laughs) I'm getting there (laughs) it's daunting Um, what else go to uh, etsy.com and search Amy May pop art all one word you're going to find some great horror art there from our friend Amy who did our logo and if you want to just go to etsy.com and search horror movie club coasters you can find a coaster set she made for us one of them has our logo on it the rest has four awesome horror movie characters pop art versions of them they look great I think that's about everything um i guess until next time if you see visions of fred durst in your dreams tell him brian was only joking and that uh he'll go on to make a pretty solid album called three dollar bills (laughs) y'all is that the one with uh gotta have faith uh yeah yeah it is oh okay okay. i'll tell you man that one's actually pretty good and part of this connection is just giving our buddy blake shit but uh not connection the transition but um Let's just get out of Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> God, listen uh, to $3 bills, y'all, tomorrow and tell, tell me what you think. All right. All right. I'll do that.